Traveling the Vortex. This is Sylvester McCoy, and I'm listening to Travel the Vortex. Although there might be tangents ahead. <laughs> da dee da da da. We've joined the Doctor as he travels the Vortex and landed episode number 239. And don't interrupt me when I'm eulogizing. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? Pretty good. Better now. <laughs> Better now? Better now. Not bad earlier? No, I was, uh, we, we went to a Royals game today, which was um, great. Um, they won, so that's always a, a good day. Even for better. <laughs> Showed up, first inning, four runs. I was like, all right, we're off to a good start. Second inning, got a homer, solo. I was like, all right. Nothing happened after that. But uh, they, they sent us uh, some very, very nice seats up in the nosebleeds in the upper deck. <laughs> but we were in the shade, which is pretty Jeez. much the only thing that made it bearable because it was so humid. Oh, and hot. And um, it's just one of those that you just, just sap the, the energy and the strength right out of you. I mean, yeah. it's just that. And Katrina went with us. It was her first Royals game, and she lasted all of about two hours before she started getting kind of fussy. So I went and walked with her around, and we went oh, down the to the kids area, the kids area, yeah. and rode the, the carousel. And so I, I hadn't been back there since all that went in, which was kind of cool. Um, and there was, I felt bad. There was a father there who was riding the carousel, and he goes, "Yeah, I didn't want to watch a baseball game today anyway." <laughs> yeah. And I said, "Well, you got to see all the runs at the, at the beginning, right? You saw the homer. That's all you need." He goes, "Yeah." That's about when we got up to come down here. Been down here ever since. <laughs> it was only a four-hour drive up. And I went, oh, oh. man. <laughs> so, do you have anything else planned you can't say today? He goes, nope, this was it. <laughs> oh, <no>. oh, man. <laughs> Just riding around and around on the carousel, apparently, all day. <laughs> it's like, well, you, you enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> went to a Royals game, rode the carousel. Yeah. But... Um, just on the way back, just driving home, it just it hit me kind of all of a sudden. It was just how just physically draining that was, and I started getting the migraine, and I, I might have had a little touch of heat stroke or something. Dehydration. Uh, yeah. So I uh, I actually called in. I was supposed to be at inventory um, tonight, uh, and I, I sent Matt a text. I was like, I have this massive headache. I'm going to take a nap and see if I can get it to go away, and then come in. And I didn't wind up waking up to go in. So <laughs> I'm sorry I wasn't there. <laughs> I feel a little better now, though. But That's yeah, good. that was a good day. Other than that, I took Mason in the pool today to the North Aquatic Center. Hmm. Um, his Cub Scout thing that was postponed from last week was this weekend, and Holly and Caitlin were volunteering at Helping Hands this afternoon. So oh. I loaded the boy up, took him up there. We swam for a couple hours, which yeah, wasn't bad. That was first time I've actually actually been to that pool and swam. I've been, I, I went there back when it first opened and shot video of it for work, but um, several times. And then, but this is the first time. Then and that place is big. I didn't realize how big that place was. When did that place open? Early two thousands. Okay, then it's a different one. We used to go to the one up north all the time as kids, but yeah, it would have been before they opened. Oh that yeah, one. no, this is only probably been it. around. Oh yeah, it's it's got a. Uh, Couple slides, uh, lazy river. Oh uh, wow! Zero entry, really nice kiddie pool area. Um, it's yeah, it's really nice. Hmm. And he spent most. Of, we must spent most of our time, I think, in the lazy river. <laughs> <laughs> You're only supposed to take four laps around before you give off your inner tube. I think we went five, <laughs> but that was part of the part of that was because when you come to the place where you're supposed to. The water actually pushes you as you come to the 
disembarking part of the lazy river, it pushes you to the side. It's supposed to push you into the area, the handoff area. Oh, yeah. And as we came by, every time it would push us over, and I'd grab Mason and kind of pull us so we'd go on down, <laughs> keep going around the lap. And the last time that we were getting ready to disembark, we got up there, and he was clear to the left, and he went on. <laughs> so you know, the first time, the time we were actually going to get off, the first time he, he actually didn't get caught up in that current. So I shifted myself, and we went around one more time. <laughs> It was fun. It's not lazy fun. rivers are awesome. I love lazy rivers. But they're too the winter tubes are too slow or too small for me to sit like on top of. So I just kind of put it around me and just mm-hmm. leaned on it. Yeah, but it was nice. Mm-hmm. And my sister and my niece were there, and they were the, the, completely by coincidence. <laughs> uh, they went Friday night because they had that big water palooza thing. Oh yeah, yeah. and there was a bunch of like stuff that. Josie didn't want to do. She just wanted to swim, and they gave they gave, gave they gave her the impression that they you kind of had to do just the activities, but it was free, and yeah. so she was like, "I don't really want to do this." And so her mom said, "Well, we'll come back on Sunday." So <laughs> they came back on Sunday, so so we hung out with them for a little while. That was it. I didn't watch anything. Didn't do anything else. Pretty boring week. Getting the kids ready for get back into school mode, and that starts in a couple of weeks. We have to enroll on. Wednesday, both oh, kids. Wow! Yeah, and then it's coming up quick. Yep, and it then, is on, almost the end of July. Yeah, it'll be they'll go back third week in August, second week in August, mm. third week, third full week in August, and then um, yeah. So I've just been getting stuff done around the house, getting ready for a garage sale next weekend. So I have some stuff if you want to sell it. Oh, bring it by! <laughs> I'll bring it to uh, at least one thing to you at work because it. We went over to my dad's and got the rest of my stuff out of his basement. So for the first time in 10 years or so, I have everything under one, all of my stuff under one <laughs> roof. <laughs> so I discovered. Well, you now some, have room for it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so now, and so I also got my twin beds. We can set up our spare bedroom just in time for my sister to come oh, and yeah. visit. So <clears throat> it worked out well. Yeah. That's kind of why we did it. This now weekend. Audie can stay over too. Yeah. That'd be fun. And if any of our listeners have any stuff they'd like to send uh, to Glenn's Garage send Sale. Send it my way. <laughs> no put promise you, you'll get the money for it. Put your it, name but. on it. <laughs> we'll put your name on it. I'll get you the money. I also uh, replaced locks in the house. First time ever doing that. Bought a new... Because our back door, we didn't get keys to the back door. For whatever reason. <laughs> she gave us keys. We got an extra one that didn't go to anything. And the back door, we had no way to it lock it. It wasn't the same key as the front door? No, it wasn't. <laughs> So we went out and bought a new front door lock, just to be on the safe side, and new back door deadbolts and knob, and we got the smart kind where you can program it. So we were able to program the front locks and the back locks all to be the same key, which was the one that we already had on our key rings. Fancy. Yeah. It's really fancy. And it was really easy to install. It, was, it took me about an hour to do the back and front door. I had struggled a bit with the knob part but once i figured it out i was like oh okay and then i struggled a bit with the front because i wound up not even putting two pieces on i I think they're seals or something but i didn't want to have to drill a bigger hole in the door and otherwise because it wouldn't have gone in the hole otherwise so yeah that was pretty you'll regret that in the winter when the draft's coming (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i'm sure there'll be more draft coming through the windows than, than, than the old windows yeah 
Uh, and then we watched Exodus, Gods and Kings. Oh, the... Uh, the Ridley Scott. <coughs> whitewashed Moses movie. Here's a whole bunch of white people playing well, Middle Eastern aside from ethnic the big, roles. Aside from the big names, there were actually a couple Middle Eastern ethnic actor actresses in it. Like, aside from a Sigourney Weaver, pretty much all the actresses were Middle Eastern. So... There was that. Was it good? It wasn't. It wasn't bad. I w- I don't know if it's great. It's kind of like every other big yeah. epic. I think I'm just not a big fan of Ridley Scott's uh, historicals. Uh, Kingdom of Heaven was nice and interesting, but it was just kind of there for me. Uh, Gladiator. This, I I was not a big fan of Gladiator. I don't. I think it hit me at a weird time in my life. Maybe if I went back and rewatched it, I'd like it more. Yeah, and I liked Gladiator, but I thought it was overhyped. Yeah, quite honestly, maybe it was the overhyping because I saw it. I heard so much about how it was amazing, and I watched it. and I was like, mm. I'm amazed that we all said the word Gladiator without doing the um, uh, J- uh, not Joan Connors, uh, Elizabeth Taylor Gladiator. <laughs> <laughs> and this one just kind of sits there for me. I mean. They did some kind of interesting things, but it's the story of Exodus. There's not much you can do with it. It's not like Robin Hood where you could take 17 different approaches to it. Or <laughs> um, King Arthur where there's so many different ways you can take it. There's really only one way you can tell the story. And this time there's no singing. <laughs> no singing? <laughs> uh, did Charlton Heston show up? He did not show well, up. Well, then it's a flop. <laughs> He's passed away now. <laughs> it's kind of hard for Heston to show up in a film now. They could have digitally, digitally put him in. If Heston to... showed up, resurrected from the dead and showed up, I'd probably decide that dead, they might be onto something with this Christianity thing. <laughs> is he dead? Yeah, he's dead. Yeah. He died a couple years ago. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I didn't think he was dead. I'm going to look that up. You look that up. Uh, Christian Bale did an f- okay job as Moses. <laughs> Joel Edgerton was all right as Ramses. Uh, surprisingly, Ben Kingsley's in it. It's kind of a nice surprise. Why is that surprising? I don't know. I just didn't expect to see it. He, he was never advertised. He's like in everything now. <laughs> Aaron Paul is in it. Uh, all, a lot of small bit parts. Like Sigourney Weaver plays Ramsey's mom. She has like 10 minutes of screen time. It's like, why did you... I know Ridley's probably great friends with her, but why did you get her to, for that role? Uh, and it's such a small role, it wasn't even an important one. So why not actually get an ethnic person for that role, too? Yeah. April but, 5th, 2008. That's yeah. He's been dead for I a while. A few years ago. I said wow. two years ago. It's a few years ago. Okay. So John Heston wasn't in it. He was what, what you're... Uh, <laughs> The uh, they, they did some kind of fresh approaches to the plagues and kind of quasi, some of them logically explained, well, okay, here's why it's in the sequential order. Like, okay, the river runs red because it was blood and the blood brings the, the flies and the flies bring the frogs and then the frogs die and that brings the pestilence and et cetera, et cetera. They did a really cool way of doing that. And then it kind of goes off the rail with the final plague, you know? <laughs> you mean angel of death? <laughs> well, well, the firstborn son of every, yeah. yeah angel of death. Yeah, I guess technically that That's, was That was the plague. That's what killed the firstborn sons. If you put they, they lamb's blood, if you didn't put lamb's blood above your door, then you weren't safe. And the, you weren't uh, passed over. The, st- Random tornado showed up and storms and 
<laughs> that's part, those were parts of it. Was like really, You'd, I could almost buy thunderstorms and stuff popping up, but then random tornadoes out of nowhere and. <laughs> Uh, but God was, works in mysterious why, ways. Why, 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 would, why would you go through all the effort to make a scientific rationale for the first six? And then they did, and then they really went with well, it's God <laughs> on, the la- <laughs> on the last four, three or four. And then the the approach for the Red Sea was kind of was actually pretty neat. It wasn't so much parting as it. They don't explain how it just kind of goes away and then comes back. But it's not like the literal center. Split open. Right. It was kind of a nice. That's a nice change. If you got two and a half hours to kill and pick up the <laughs> library, I'd go for it. Uh, we were morbidly curious enough to check it out. Still haven't watched Noah, and that's on Netflix. So, is it now? Yeah. Oh. That sh- that shows the higher. I, mean, I heard much worse things. Giant than Noah, rock though. angels <laughs> developing build the ark. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of tempted just because it's a Darren Aronofsky film. John, did you guys watch anything? We watched um, Mission Impossible 3. Oh. Which Mel swears up and down she has never seen in her life. <laughs> and the kids were like, I'm pretty sure we went and saw that, Mom. She's like, I have, I have no memory of this. <laughs> I have ze- Like, she sat there like this, kind of. And then as the film went on, she. I mean, just her eyes got real big and she just. You know, she was into it. And I looked at her and I said, you don't remember this, do you? <laughs> I've never seen this before. I was like, oh, well, it's all new to you then. But, uh, yeah, still still awesome. Still still a very, very good one. In the- I don't think I've ever seen three. Really? Did you see Ghost Protocol? Nope. You did what I did. You just quit it, too. <laughs> I quit it, too, when First, I saw it in I a cheap theater. And I went back and saw three and four, but... I'm nearly done with Lego Hobbit. All I've got is hub levels. Which has put me very far behind on all my shows. <laughs> well, what do we got in news this week, then? News? Peter Capaldi recently was on the Doctor Who fan YouTube thingy that the BBC has put together. Uh, the fan show is what it's called. And he was asked to name which Doctor Who adventures he popped into a DVD player on a rainy day. Top ten Doctor Who rainy day stories for Peter Capaldi. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna do the bit here. If we're gonna do this, we're gonna do. I don't think these are any. Or- I think these are in chronological order. We're, we're, we're doing Letterman. So these are the top ten <laughs> Doctor Who episodes that Peter Capaldi would pop in on a rainy day. Rose. You can say number ten. Number ten. Rose. Well, these aren't numbered, so I don't know if these are actually. Doesn't his. matter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> number ten. <laughs> number ten. Rose. Do you really think any of Letterman's stuff was numbered properly? <laughs> well, it did tend to I go guarantee- from least ridiculous to most ridiculous. I, I guarantee you, he took that blue card out. He looked at it and went, "This one's funnier. I'm going to save it for last." <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what he did. He would save the funniest for last. Uh, so Rose. Or so number ten is Rose. Number ten is Rose. Number nine is Girl in the Fireplace. Number eight is The Vampires of Venice. Interesting choice at number eight. Yeah. Seven, The Rings of Akaten. These were just new, right? He, uh, I have not looked at the full list, so I'm not entirely sure. Oh. Go to my next page. It's not loading. 
And if you go watch the YouTube video, he'll expound on why he likes these. On a rainy day. On a rainy day. Sometimes. This one, for Rings of Akaton, he just said, I like it a lot. Well, that's my reason for liking <laughs> that. This one. is not just new series. What, what number was on? Six? Seven. Seven? Number Able. six? No. You're ready for six. Si- no. No. Yeah. Ready for five. No. Whatever. Just read them. <laughs> Seven. The Ark in Space. Yay! Mm. Ark in Space. That's a great rainy day, who? Terror of the Autons. Frontier in Space. <laughs> <laughs> Sean goes, no. <laughs> no, I like Frontier. Uh-huh. We don't like this follow-up of Frontier. I like the follow-up, too. I just wish that they were more... Inter- it's it, We discussed it. I wish they were more interconnected. But yeah. taken by itself, I'm, I'm okay with it. Doing you them like back the to Draconians. Back. I love the Draconians. That's, yeah. Which I imagine is why that one's so high on Capaldi's list, because I know he's a big proponent of, of, oh, yeah. of them as well. And I, I'd still... Man, I'd love to see them come back. The rest of his list include the Dalek Invasion of Earth, the Web of Fear, and... Number one. Mind Robber. The number one... Oh, wow. ...to put in on a rainy day, Granny Pierre Capaldi, is the Mind he Robber. He says the Mind Robber is absolutely brilliant. Watch that if you get any time on a rainy day, because it's just one of the most extraordinary... Because is one of the most extraordinary actors. Just his delicacy, his ability to jump from irate to being kindly and clownish. Good list. Very good list. On the same YouTube video, Capaldi has said, which is a bit fitting with our part of our discussion this week, he really wants Mondazi and Cybermen to properly come back. He wants a genesis of the Cybermen story. Uh, he said, we should either have them becoming some Time Lords and somehow channeling it so they could have access across time and space, or I think it would be good if we had a genesis of the Cybermen. We found out the Doctor on Mondas itself in an adventure where he discovered the Cybermen actually being created. Been so done. He wants to see... <laughs> he wants to bring spare parts to TV. Properly. Properly. <laughs> uh, he also says he'd like to see the Ox- Axons, Demons, Zarbi, and the Minoptra come back. He wants the Zarbi? <laughs> and the Minoptra. You could do them well now. You could Which ones the were the Minoptra? Those were the butterflies. Well. Yeah. Oh, the Zarbi. Yeah, okay. You could, same you could do them all <laughs> pretty well demons. now. <laughs> and and who who else was on that list? Axons and demons. So as all, as all, as all, as all. Yeah, demons. Um, <laughs> somebody had to do it, didn't they? I resisted. Well, we, we, we didn't get clear. We didn't get the uh, Elizabeth Taylor. So. <laughs> um, uh, in, in, in the hierarchy of <laughs> the probability of those coming back, I can see the Draconians very, very easily. Actually, I can I can see the Draconians. He didn't say Draconians. Dr- no, well, he had said once upon a time that oh, he liked oh. them. Sean really wants the Draconians. But I really want the Draconians. But I, I can also <laughs> they're one of those. I, I can, that, that they're they're ones that logically make sense to come back. It's not. I mean, if you can bring the Zygons back for Pete's sake, you can do the Draconians. The makeup's not outlandishly silly. That's true. The Zarbi, on the other hand, <laughs> they'd well, have that to be comic com- did it really com- well. Completely CGI. Yeah, I don't think you could. You could do it. It'd be, yeah. it'd be simple to do the Zarbi. And the uh, well, I guess they did the Makra. The Minoptra. Yeah, Minoptra. Minoptra. Sure. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I 
Yeah, the Mac we the bad foam, but we just saw claws come up. They were completely CG. Uh, yeah, no, I, it's, that's, yeah. that's why it's easy to do that kind of thing. Um, I think the furthest step away from the original look of anything so far has had to be the uh, underground dwellers. Madame Vastra. What the heck are they? Silurians. Thank you, Silurians. That's the most yeah. <laughs> departure from, I think, the original look. Cool and it's could, fine. I mean, it'd be cool if they could bring the sea devils back. Yeah. Like, yeah. honest to goodness, sea would devils be cool. would be, would be pretty cool. cool but. They could do the heads with CG. CGI. Yeah. Maybe we get the draconians and the sea devils to tie to, to it. <laughs> no. Only if we get a hovercraft. <laughs> but Mon- uh, still, top of the list of draconians. I still think you do that. But Mondosian Cybermen, I think, as a... I think, I think the way Peter wants to have it done, I think would probably be hard. Because I think he wants to see the original design back on TV. And to get the modern audience to swallow that yep. between the Cybermen we know now would be a lot harder to do. It's harder to do a Genesis like a Genesis of the Cybermen like Genesis of the Daleks on television. Because Genesis, of the, there's not a lot of change in the Daleks over the years. Not like Cybermen. That's the bigger challenge because Attack of the Cybermen, you kind of have to hand wave stuff as listeners and viewers will know soon when we rewatch it Friday Night Who, (laughs) (laughs) how so much of that is supposed to be set. It was before a lot of, it was very, it's supposed to be very early Mondas, right? I'm trying to remember now. Attack was not Mondas though. It was, um, oh, it was Telos. Telos. Yeah. 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 But it was still supposed to be the, Earlier Cybermen, but they look like the 80s Cybermen. Yes. Kind of one of those things. I'd almost think it'd be more interesting to do a... a, 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 Go go even earlier back. Do an adventure... Pre-spare parts? Yeah. We we, we land and maybe the Doctor sets things in motion that then causes Mondas to drift. Yeah. That would be cool. And you don't find out you're on Mondas until the end of the episode. Yeah. That would be like, oh, wow. You know, but... But then you wouldn't have Mondasian Cybermen. So. But yeah, yeah then they, they wouldn't show up. So. I don't know. That's a more likely way to do it now. Yeah, but you wouldn't have any monsters. So. That's true. <laughs> well, we didn't have any monsters in uh, Listen. True. There was the thing in the bed. <laughs> uh, the last bit of news was uh, Doctor Who magazine recently came out. And Colin Baker, they had a very long interview with him, and he spoke about being the lowest ranked compared to the others' doctors. And he says, I know there are some people who rate my doctor quite highly. It's just there's an even greater number who don't rate him at all. And it wounds me. I should be able to rise above it, and I pretend I don't care, but I actually do care. I think it's a shame that people think that way. I can understand why. There, there's a yeah, lot. You I, have to really delve into his character to appreciate. I'm it. I'm sorry that it happens, but it just I there's there's just weight. You can't let it trouble you because I mean it, obviously it does and it, and it can, but you have to try not to let it trouble you, which he obviously makes an attempt to not let it bother him, but it does. How can you not? Let but it bother you? I mean, it's it was it that's all situational because I oh, mean yeah. he, his doctor didn't even really get a chance and he had too many strikes against him and it just it's it wasn't his fault by any means and I and I think it, I think most fans recognize that nowadays 
There was a great discussion on our Facebook page about it. And one thing I think is a a bad strike against him for modern fans is there's none of him on Netflix. Yeah. So it's not as easy to dip into him and see what – get a taste of him at all unless you go out and buy something, which – most fans are more more than willing to do that, but if you don't know if you like the doctor, you're not as that's willing true. to purchase it. That's a very good point. And I think that's why also a lot of the times nowadays it's ranked so low. Just keep in mind if you're a completist, he's one of the easiest doctors to have the entire <laughs> It's <laughs> true. I'm almost there. <laughs> well, it's, 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 he also talks in the article about how Capaldi's doctor – is often compared to him and how he wishes he could kind of play that role now. Well, and nine had what his jacket should have been, <laughs> what his outfit should have been. Well, and he even says he, how much he loves uh, Capaldi's style, his outfit. Because it would have fit with that too. That would have looked good it on it. Yeah. Huh? Should we move I on have, to I have, I have no comment. He's 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 one hundred percent right, and it's unfortunate. And I mean, as as we've alluded to before, you can point to the the, the times and the costume and the the, the writing. And I think the the problem the that with I him and Perry and I think the problem I have is every time an interview with him crops up, that's the topic of discussion. I don't think it's his fault. I think it's the interview's fault, interviewer's yeah. fault, and. I wish that I could just see an interview with Colin Baker where he talked about all the good things and about how wonderful Big Finish is and how he was the one that stepped into the role of the stage play when when Pertwee became ill. I mean, I wish somebody would focus on how – and I think this article does. I haven't read all of it, but – It's a pretty lengthy article, isn't it? It is. It's six pages in there. It's the – you know, it's Doctor Who magazine, so it's microscopic text. (laughs) (laughs) Really Uh, big pages. Eight. Nine. It's actually – almost 10 pages worth of interview here. But it's... I wish somebody would sit down and talk to him about all of that. All of, because he, to me, he's the greatest ambassador for Doctor oh, Who. Yeah. Because to come in in such a tumultuous time in the series, play the Doctor, not want to leave, I think uh, the only strike against him is that he, and understandably so, didn't come back for his regeneration. But it's it's completely understandable, and I, 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 I see... Why he wouldn't want to do something like that, but beyond that, he's always he's never he's never been ashamed of being the doctor. He always wanted to do more. He always talked about things that he would have done with the doctor, and he's had that chance again in Big Finish. And I, I think that that that's the problem is because, in fact, I, I didn't even click on the article when it because that's the clickbait oh, subject yeah, that came up on all of the Facebook sites and all of the the Doctor Who news uh, fan news sites. Everybody has that Colin ba- that headline. Colin Baker sad that his doctor's rank lost. Well, yeah, okay. I know that. I've known that for twenty years, and it's one of those things that I like to see. A Colin has no regrets, or Colin, you know, points out all the great things about the sixth doctor. That's what I want to see. And so I don't, I don't, I don't even bother clicking on those when there's a headline because it's almost like. Well, no duh. I mean, they, it's they just, took up the juiciest little bit exactly. that they can make and, people click. And I don't know why they. I don't know why they do that. Well, they do that for the new fans that aren't as familiar with classic series. But I don't know why they do that because uh, more fans are going to click on that article looking for the six know, doctor nuggets fans, about yeah. their dog about their. What was it that he refused to come back, or they didn't invite him back for his regeneration? 
They, they, yeah, invited him they, back. They, they, they yeah. did okay. invite him back after they fired him. Yeah, he had already oh, been fired, okay. though. So. I mean, and it was a legit... You're fired. You're fired. Oh, can you come back to shoot this? Yeah. And at that point, it was like, no. No, I, and I don't blame him. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't oh, come back either. Um, it's, and it's I think same. they got around it. It doesn't. They didn't ruin yeah. anything. I mean, yeah, if you look really close, you can tell it's Sylvester in a wig. But it's the same set of people that don't want to include. I mean, we've talked before about how rankings are that we that we will not. We're going to abstain from trying to put together a yeah. who's your favorite because right. it's just not fair. Um, but it's the same group of people that have this. Oh, well, Paul McGann's not a real doctor because it was an American production. Yeah. So if that makes you feel any better, Colin, <laughs> in some, some people don't. In some it. circles, you're not last. That's <laughs> true. Because there's one doctor out there that's not even a doctor, because it was an American production. All right, should we move on feedback? Yes, feedback. First up is Holly. Holly writes the Curse of Fenric and the Harvest. Hey guys, the Curse of Fenric. I have to say this was a very interesting take on a, on the vampire myth, and I was pleasantly surprised that it was not vampires, but hemivores of the non-straw-carrying variety. <laughs> Still creepy. I really felt for Ace in this one. We find out more about her family history, as well as what means the Doctor will go to to make sure they will get out of the situation that he's in with his companion, even if it means breaking the trust they had built up. The Harvest. Cybermen are up their old tricks again with trying to hide in plain sight. Though I do have to admit the times when Cybermen say resistance is futile makes me wonder if they haven't run into the Borg somewhere down the line. <laughs> we'll talk about that. That bugs me a little bit. <laughs> all in a good Cyberman story. All in all a good Cyberman story. Looking forward to hearing everyone's thoughts in these two stories. Holly from Wisconsin. Well, Holly the Cyberman did meet the Borg. In that IDW yeah, crossover. Yes, they did. <laughs> assimilation? Is that what it was called? Yeah, Assimilation Cubed or something. Yeah. Up next in feedback, Kirk. Kirk writes, Hello, Vortex crew. I was delighted to be able to join in Friday Night Who for The Curse of Fenric. This is one of my favorite McCoy stories. Some people ding it for being a messy goulash of Russians and Vikings and vampire fish and teenage girls and vicars and code cracking and chess games and monsters from a future timeline and military men and about a dozen other elements. Okay, that's fair. But I'd rather a story be ambitious and spill over its seams than some of the less imaginative stories in the Doctor Who canon. Ghostlight has some of the same issues, but suffers because you can't follow the story without cliff notes. As always, Sylvester McCoy and Sophie Alvord simply command the screen, and Ace is given a lot of delightful, substantial things to do. I thought it was great to see the Twitter response to Episode 3. The various story elements come together quickly as that episode leads to the cliffhanger. I forget who said it, but someone commented the third episode is usually boring, not the Curse of Fenric. <laughs> I particularly enjoyed the climax of Episode 4 and the full reveal of the multi-season arc that started for Ace and Dragonfire. This is a big part of why people say that Ace sets the template for modern Doctor Who companions and storytelling. More than ever before, the through line of the series becomes about how the companion changes as a result of her travels with the Doctor. I'm eager to hear your reviews of Fenric. Kirk. Thank you, Kirk. Thank you, Kirk. Thank you, Kirk. Sorry I missed you, Fred. It was a delight to have you for Fred. Yeah, packed crowd. Yeah, we had a lot of people. Yeah, my apologies. Uh, Mason was sick, and so there was Uh many hours sitting up with him. 
I think it was I think it was his his allergies really more than anything, but it was he was had so much drainage and stuff it was making him nauseous. Ooh, that's never pleasant. <clears throat> and last but not least, Chrissy. Chrissy writes Ace of Sevens. Dear Vortex Boys, I don't have anything to say as far as an introduction other than I'm sorry I yelled at Glenn on Twitter to wake him up during Friday Night Who. In all fairness, Sean told someone to wake you up and I took it upon myself to heed his request. Didn't realize you had sick kids that night. Hope everyone is feeling better. And they are. And he was fine the next morning. That's what, goes up. That's what happens to Mason. Is he'll be sick as a dog one night and the next day he's up with like nothing happened. And the rest of us are all dragging around because we're like... <laughs> uh, so exhausted. Okay, time for reviews. The Curse of Fenric. When you go into the classic Who story, you expect it to be a certain way. The side characters aren't quite as developed, and you don't expect to delve into the companion's backstory very much. There are often other things that classic stories that a classic story does instead of keep those deep character moments. But then you get Curse of Fenric, which is almost like a new Who story with the classic Who episode format. It's a strange experience having all those complex stories, uh, story elements going on in the pre-wilderness story, which is probably why this is so highly regarded. It's something new and different and even reflects the beginning of the change that TV in general was undergoing in the 80s and early 90s, last, the late 80s and early 90s, at least as far as storytelling goes. This is truly Ace's story, and the, fa- and the fact kind of took me surpri- by surprise the first time I saw it. I wasn't used to Classic Who going into a companion's character so much. It's a good surprise, don't get me wrong. We spend so much time on what she's doing and what's going on with her that we almost, note that I said almost, miss what's going on with the Doctor and how he's solving the chess puzzle. And that story, and that part of the story is mostly good. The only thing I would criticize is that his, that his chess motif is... A little heavy-handed. Then again, TV writers back then were just beginning to learn ways of subtlety, so I can forgive that for being a product of its time. Overall, this is a fantastic story, very complex and layered and deep. Not something I'd show a first-time Who viewer, or even a relative relative newbie. Seems like something better suited for someone who's had a bit more experience with Doctor Who before tackling this. Which is probably a good thing we did this so late here. Your experience, Keith. Oh, we were going to start him with Ghost Light, but. <laughs> <laughs> the Harvest. Clear back in 2013, when I was doing my big review series to celebrate the 50th anniversary, this was the story that I chose to review for The Seventh Doctor. Here's a link to that review if you're interested, and we'll include that in the show notes. Listening to the story now, I find that it holds up much the same as it did back then, a whole two years ago. I love Hex. He's a wonderful addition to Seven and Ace. He's almost like Ace's kid brother who keeps getting into trouble and she has to bail him out. But at the same time, he is perfectly capable of taking care of himself when the situation gets dire. I know he's got a complex through line throughout his Big Finish run, and we've already touched on some of it, even before this story. Won't say anything more. Spoilers! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I haven't gone through all of Hex's stories, mostly because some of it's kind of complicated, as far as I can tell. So I just figured out, I just figured I'd go through it with you guys and let Sean try to figure it out for me. No pressure. Uh, yeah, because I scheduled episode two in Hex's story first. <laughs> That's totally a great plan, Chrissy. 
The story itself is good, though I have a hard time imagining a Cyberman converting from cyber technology back to human. It's probably something that can be done in audio because the visual of the transition taking place is probably much too gruesome for television, at least on regular BBC programming. Maybe it could be done like the clockwork droids in Deep Breath. And it sounded to me like this cyber controller was even more part cyber and part scavenged body parts than he was in Deep Breath. Or then was in deep breath. I don't know, just me thinking out loud. Also, that main doctor at the hospital, can't remember his name, I, keep, I kept thinking his voice sounded a lot like Peter Davison, even though that's obviously not who he is. But it was funny, as I was listening to this story, I kept hearing the voice thinking, it's the fifth doctor. Oh, wait. <laughs> wow, that's a long email. I guess I had more to say than I thought. I'll wrap it up here and let someone else take over. Have a great week, boys, and I'll talk to you later. Thank, Thank Chrissy. you, Chrissy. And that's it for feedback. Shall we move on to our review? Let's. The Curse of Fenric. The Doctor and Ace are put to the ultimate test when the TARDIS materializes in the Second World War England at the top of a secret naval base. The army church built on Viking graves bears inscriptions calling for the wolves of Fenric to return for their treasure. Thereafter, evil will reign. Even as the doctor translates the inscription, hideous corpses rise up from the sea, and the evil Fenric is now free to summon his wolves to a killing rampage. Dun, dun, dun! Glenn did not give that a terribly enthusiastic... Oh, I just got to it late. Okay. (laughs) It's got some issues, but... <laughs> <laughs> Overall, a really good story, in my opinion. So, confession time. Hadn't seen this one before. I've only seen part of it, because you made me stop. <laughs> I, I, I think I have seen the first episode, the first segment. Um, I thought I'd seen a third of it, or I thought I'd seen two-thirds of it. That was before I realized it was four episodes. <laughs> So you saw one, right? <laughs> I got to the third the episode and because I watched it Saturday because I was playing catch up and I had the disc so I popped it in and pushed play all so I didn't have the benefit of seeing a playlist on Netflix <laughs> so I start the first story and I get through it and I said the second story and I get through it and I get the third story and I get through it and most of the way through I'm like this is a lot they're going to have to wrap up here what's cool and the third story is, as was alluded to in, in, in the feedback, and you guys talked about a little bit on Friday Who, really is clipping along. So it really felt like it was the last story, and I was just going to get everything. And then there was another cliffhanger, and I went, <laughs> is this four stories or four episodes? And I looked at the di- – I was like, oh, sure enough, it is. So then I – and I, I had started this thing like super late on Saturday thinking, that's eh, only an hour and a half, you know, <laughs> three 20-minute episodes. It's not even quite, a, quite an hour and a half. Uh, it's about an hour. Yeah, no. longer than no. I thought. <laughs> so no, but it was it was it's only uh, a four parter. No, but seven. It. But yeah, I was quite shocked that there was a four part or a, yeah four well, part. I, I can see why you guys thought that because survival's three, right? Ghost lights and three. ghost lights three. So it's bookended with three parters. Well, so happiest patrol was three. Wasn't it? Happiness, happiness patrols three. three. I think there was a good chunk of his dragon fires three. I think. Era. Uh, is it? Is it? I think. <laughs> Could be wrong. Delta and the Bannerman is definitely three, I think. Time of the Running is a four, but... Yeah, Time of the Running is four. 
At any rate, um, and we even talked about it as maybe because you, um, what was it that you had said about? You didn't use the word, but the, something about the info dump or somebody somebody had tweeted that. They always felt like the Seventh Doctor stories jumped straight in. Was that, oh, yeah, was that I somebody tweeted else? that. You yeah. tweeted that. Okay, I thought I couldn't remember if you were just agreeing with them or not. You tweeted that, and I said, well, maybe it's because they're all three-parters. And you were like, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And then we went four, and I went. <laughs> and I had the well, Netflix list. Well, there's a lot thing. of them are three-parters. I so, had yeah. the Netflix list. It was like starting episode two. Well, okay. And I almost, when I did the thing, I almost typed, and now the conclusion. And that would have <laughs> <laughs> that would have ended badly, but... Yeah, I didn't realize this was a four-parter. But not that there's a problem, because unlike so many of the four-parters, where episode three, as somebody alluded to, tends to be boring, <laughs> usually because that's the info dump. Yeah, that's the, okay, we got to set these pieces Here's in motion. where they explain and... everything, and then you get the conclusion. Episode three is just a big action set piece. I mean, oh, we kind of yeah. range all over the place, and where the tunnels, and where the thing, and the army come down, and, I mean, it's like you said. I mean, just it just ramped up all of a sudden, and then... Um, it ended. I was like, why is there a cliffhanger? <laughs> <laughs> We've got one more to go. I really liked the story. I, I mean, it, it's full. As Kirk pointed out, it, it does kind of bust out at the seams just a little bit with everything that's going on in it. But I think it's it's one of those that because of the layers of it, because of so much of the stuff in it, I think this is one that I'm going to be able to go back and rewatch over and over and over and over and over again. And continue to catch new things each time with it, without taking away from the overall core story. Yeah, and how enjoyable that was, and and the the ace transition that happens in this one. Well, yeah, because it kind of starts off as your typical story, and then after all the action, suddenly turns into this. Oh wow, this is a huge ace centric backstory plot, and it's it, heavy. Yeah. It's heavy. Well, and so much of the Seventh Doctor era that we've listened to in Big Finish, for me, has I've enjoyed it, but I couldn't quite understand how they got to that point. Now I get it. This is the template, this type of story they decided to tell where they're in going. Big Finish. Yeah. This is this is where they were going with the Seventh Doctor's era in that final season. Yeah. And sadly, Between ghosts, sadly, it was it, it almost feels too late. Yeah. Between. Well, even earlier up to, like, Resurrection, but they're still kind of a bit more humorous. There is not a lot of humorous Doctor in this story, I don't think. He's he's very yeah. – he's, he's the somber Doctor that we yeah. often get in Big Finish. Um, and even in the other stories, like Ghostlight and Survival, there he tends to be a bit more cheerful. So a little more I, clownish. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't want to use the word clownish. It's more like but, theater performer, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like um, but vaudevillian, vaudevillian, yeah, vaudevillian is a great word for it. But it's one of those, and it, for me, it's the big finish. I've always been like, okay, I could see they were going that direction, and I felt like they had just taken that step. I think I'd said that before that we, it felt like it was going one way, and big finish saw that and stepped that way. Now I see it wasn't a big step; it was just continuing based off of this story specifically. I think that. I like this story, but I think I more like what this story wants to be. I think, unfortunately, it does suffer from being a messy goulash of Russians and Vikings and vampire <laughs> fish and teenage girls and vicars and code cracking and game chess games and monsters from the future timeline and military men and about a dozen other months. I, I think uh, Kirk hits the nail on the head. Yeah. 
I think this would have made a, a wonderful new adventure novel. I think that this, if you could flesh a lot of this stuff out, I think it would have been a really good story. I think, I think because of what Chrissy pointed out, that this type of storytelling was in its infancy, it suffers from being able to do it well. Yeah. And I think that the writer, Ian... Briggs? No. Uh... Yeah, Briggs. Is it Ian Briggs? Yep. Okay. Ian Briggs, thank you, Sean. Sorry. Um, I think the writer. I'm reading the book, so I, I have the a, I have writer a on that. If I think if the writer wrote Doctor Who now, he would be one of those type of writers that could take a a story arc, a theme through an entire season. Oh yeah. And paint a a beautiful story, even even throwing in Monster of the Week type stories in there. I think that that he could craft a Stephen Moffat esque. Arc. Um, unfortunately, when you and I'm glad this had four episodes. I'm so glad that it had four episodes <laughs> because if you had tried to condense this end down to three, and then this is probably why it got four, there was no way, no way that this could have been pulled off. Um, I think it 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 suffers from moving too fast from one element to another element to another element to try to cram everything in. Yeah, and so. I'm with Sean, though, in the sense this is one that I could watch over and over again and probably get more out of it while still enjoying the central core of the story, picking up on more aspects of it even as I as I watched it more often. The first episode is very schizophrenic. Oh, yeah. It doesn't really settle on what kind of story it's telling until probably well, mid-part two. Pretty much not until the... Girls turn into vampires. That yeah, that's really when the, that's when all the th- everything gels together, and you understand why the girls were there in the story, and to move everything forward. Yeah, and that's when it kind of all comes to a head. Well, in the first story, the girls are just girls. I mean, they're just they're evacuated. They're young evacuated girls that are just wanting to be rebellious and. They're wanting to be young girls. They're well, wanting to be. They're they want age. To be, yeah, very much so. And from that time period. You yeah. don't it what it what what doesn't get driven home for you unless you really look for it is the fact that they were being called by the water. It wasn't that they were just being rebellious and went they wanted to go swimming. It was because they wanted to go swimming when they got there, they were so compelled yeah. into the water by the curse. And so I don't think that that is I think that's far too subtle. And that it's something that you don't really get or understand until later in the story. And that may have been what the author was going for, but I think that that's what makes that first episode feel so choppy and hodgepodge, is that you're not getting you're not getting the meat of the story until much later in the story yeah. when the writer decides to kind of drop the aha, you know. Yeah. Because it, you're getting hints of it because you keep getting those wonderful underground shots of the viking head uh the oh, dragon the, the head viking ship yeah. and the hand and which are wonderfully crafted they were so so well done and the um visually this piece is stunning it's 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 wonderful set pieces uh the church slash castle or fortress <laughs> is <laughs> is really really good and I, I i'd like to know if a lot i mean like you know obviously a good chunk of that must have been shot in a studio but the set pieces were wonderful and then when we're outside doing the ob broad the ob uh video it's 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 framed up so well it's got these great you know uh uh nature pe not nature uh 
skyline pieces and you know the water and the shots are there and they're framed up and the, the over the shoulder when the guys you know drawing down on the girls you know praying that they don't come any closer because he doesn't want to have to shoot them when they're running up off the beach just all of the all of the shots in this are really well done with the element of not seeing the what were the creatures called again hemovores hemovores not seeing the hemovores seen through their uh, point of view uh, point of view um seeing just their hands reaching it you don't get a lot of that until the final uh story when they actually all kind of come up out of the water well that's part so, three isn't it? Uh, yeah well towards the end of the story yeah. so i really like the fact that we, we he, they made a lot of good the director made a lot of great choices in 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 telling this story it's just there's far too much crammed in it and i really really like what this story wants to be it just doesn't quite get there because there's Far too much going on. Yeah, it's an interesting um, conglomeration to 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 look at and kind of figure out. Okay, did was, was this really <clears throat> was it scripted and done on purpose this way or not? Because it, it almost leaves you with that question of, with as much as going on in episode one, the fact that it does manage to tie all together. At the end, you're kind of left with that. Did, did, did it work out that way? <laughs> I mean, was, was it luck? Or did you really, from the beginning, know all of this was actually going to happen? I'm just not going to let the audience in on it until part four. Yeah. That th- this is all, it's, it's all related and it's all interconnected. Because there, there's so much of it that, you know, seems random. The chess. You know, when the order goes out, burn the chess boards. And I went, what? This guy's just crazy. <laughs> but no, there's there's a legitimate reason for him to, you know, have that. But um, obviously the, 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 the shining centerpiece of it is Ace and oh. the transition that, that she kind of goes through with her relationship with the doctor and the backstory that she gets. And, and, and again, yeah, we've definitely gotten some hints of that in New Who. We, we've gotten those timey-wimey, over, you know, the story folding back on itself, you know, things. This... It was probably, you know, the first time that had been attempted. And as as Kirk pointed out, it really kind of set the template for oh, yeah. for what was to come. And I, I'd heard people say before that Ace was very much a template for the modern companion. And I didn't, I never, I didn't quite see it. I, I saw the arc before, like, I knew there was the arc and that it was whatnot. And now I understand why they say that? See, I get because a lot of, of that. I get a lot of, of that from uh, Ghostlight because there, well, that's where both. the Doctor is doing more of the. He's he's really kind of letting Ace be the sleuth. He's he's really trying to show her or teach her how to be more observant by allowing her to come up with the the answers or the questions as we go, instead of being the companion that asks, you know, what's going on here so that the doctor can explain what's going on. He really lets Ace be the one who is discovering things and 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 sometimes she fails and sometimes she's dead on. And I think Ghostlight really starts that. You're right. Curse is, well, is, and is and a lot more. It and retcons yeah. a lot of it too. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's the retconning part that is that kind of just smacked me in the face. Like, whoa, okay. Yeah, I see now that's the bad wolf of it's it was there all along, but no one noticed it. Yeah, it's um, it's two two with the the, the the two girls that they just you know just want to be girls, and I, I said earlier that they are ace, and it, it's I, I think the parallels there I think are, are, are really huge because 
they are ace without the tragic backstory mm-hmm. that she would have grown up and she time period doesn't matter that you're still kind of the rebellious I'm going to go and do what I want to do and this that and the other thing and when they have that scene on the beach and they go down into the water and they're like come on in and ace is like nah it's for sissies even though she wants to there's a part of her that desperately wants to but the doctor said don't go in the water so she's being loyal to that because she's traveled enough now to know better and it's just such an interesting parallel that how these paths diverged that she would have been there had it not been for this that she would have been of the same mindset she would have been of the same yeah you had know. she not been transported away by Fenric yeah the the you know just the, the because aces and I mean obviously her 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 backstory the fact that she she didn't get along with her mom that she's had this you know I burned down and blew up this house that I've got you know and 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 all of the stuff that kind of led up to that be even before Fenric interfered with her and kind of put her on the path to, to meeting the doctor. But just that she would have been there, that she's the same typeset of, of personality. And so it's a great contrast between the two to kind of show this is where you're, this is where you would, would have been, but this is where you are. Yeah. And so I think that kind of helps with the whole, the whole. I feel like I'm not making any sense, but no, make the ace arc part of that. Yeah, and then a couple on the fact that oh yeah, Fenric's the one that sent you to to Ice World. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah, Fenric was responsible for the time storm. Yes, for both her and Silver Nemesis, which yes. was kind of a nice because I looked it up. Uh, Ian Briggs wrote. Dragonfire. So it makes sense that he did that, but it was it was really cool the Silver Nemesis references to mm-hmm. the fact the, the ex- explanation of that because that's something that kind of doesn't get explained in that story, and we get the payoff here. Yeah, there's a lot of let's make this one <laughs> of all of the Who that we've had classic that has gone. Let's do a whole story over the course of a season, like Key to Time, <laughs> the Ace era. Almost fits better as a complete through story than anything that was set out to be a complete through story. <laughs> it really does because the even when they do the key of, key of time, they still do this. Okay, we're going to do it episodic. And we're just going to make everything tie together. You know what I mean? It's it's like force tying these together. Yeah. What's our central theme? Oh, we're tracking down these pieces of the um, key to time. What are we going to do beyond that? Well, we're just going to do regular run of the mill Doctor Who stories, and then we'll force the key of time in there somehow. And that's what those really feel like. Whereas it's not this as well one, planned out. while it's still a very episodic in the sense that there's 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 something different do- going on in every story, Ace's central theme really plays out really well throughout that, as though it was crafted to be done that way. Well, and as you said, I mean, because we, we we've got references here to to Dragonfire, we've got references to Ghostlight, we've got references to so Silver nice. Nemesis. It's just kind of bam, 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 and it's like all of that culminating in this one episode. It's it's interesting that there are the ghost light references since it wasn't it was intended to be a foreshadowing instead of a callback. That's kind of knowing yeah. that aspect. It's kind of neat hearing those and thinking, oh, that was laying the groundwork for ghost light. But it works both ways. Yeah, it really does. Well, because they made it work the other way. <laughs> I thought um, I think all the performances in this are, are I think really good. Obviously, except for the Russians, their accents were terrible. One well, guy sounds like he's French. 
I really like the priest in the story. Yeah, yeah. I like the, I, I like the vicar. I like um, and his story did not go where I expected. It. Yeah, and I, I really appre- I really like. I always appreciate it, regardless of the vampire story, when it's whatever your faith is in is what repels them. I think the first one I was aware of it in, I think, was I Am Legend. The not the, the original story was, and just that idea I always love, and the fact that they used that here, well, even though they weren't true vampires, well, they added the scientific spin to it too, that it creates the psychic barrier, yeah. and I was like, Perfect. and that and that's a great way that's, to scientifically exactly what you need to do. Doctor Who explain it, yeah, and it's it's, it's tragic because the vicar starts off, I mean, you, you get just that little piece. Where the 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 uh, old crotchety what's her name? I called her Elmira Gulch because <laughs> that's just what she reminded her of is the Wicked Witch of the West. But where she's going on and on and on about this, well, it doesn't feel like church anymore, and you know this that and everything. You get just a piece that, of that. Was that Miss Hardiker? No, Miss Hardiker was the one who was helping the doctor, or the the scientist doctor. Uh, what was her name? But you you get just a drop of that scene when they introduce the vicar, and then to come around and have that come full circle. When the when the the fish vampires are saying your faith isn't strong enough, you know you doubt yourself, and then he he falls, and it's like oh man, but, yeah. I mean they set it up right at the beginning, so it's it's another one of those geniusly plotted pieces that you didn't think was going to work, but then it, it turns Hardiker. out to well, it was Miss Hardiker, yeah, and her two charges charges Jean and Phyllis, yeah, Miss Hardiker was the wicked witch of the West. The um, I like the professor. Especially once he becomes Fenric, yeah, because he started off and he was just kind of there. I, thought it was oh, I don't know. I thought he was. I thought he was really good in that. He just was that very um, uh, inquisitive and very into his work and into what he was doing. And it was just. It was very obviously. He has his own tragic backstory. He had some accident yeah. in school, and he's as the caretaker keeps saying. An invalid, and he, he finally corrects her and says, I'm crippled, not an invalid. <laughs> um, but very focused and into what he was doing, excited about what was going on, excited about this you know, giant supercomputer. And then, yes, to be able to turn and become something very different when uh, he is Fenric, I thought that was very, very, very... And a great lighting effect, too, with the way his eyes, you know, yeah. that, that was effective. Very creepy. Um it's a bit serendipitous having just watched an uh, imitation game because it's he's designing that machine he was using. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I liked um, the, I, I liked the lead Russian. I kind of would you know they, they kind of laid some groundwork there for maybe a, a little romance going yeah, on that, between that, him and that Ace. That was and, the one part of it that felt a little forced and a little rushed to me. It did, but I was glad that they didn't take it any further than they did. It was just kind of that flirtatious. And we're going you know. off to flirt with the one guy. <laughs> that is some gothic flirting right there. <laughs> so we did it in the old days. <laughs> but she's from the present time, which made it even more awkward. <clears throat> I guess she's been traveling long enough to know how to flirt in different time periods. <laughs> it, it, it almost... It's almost as though they wrote that part and they said, well, this is still a kid's program, so we need to pair this back a bit. <laughs> and then they paired it back too much. And it was like, is she flirting? Is that what she's supposed what to be the- doing here? Maybe that's part of the added charm is the fact that, you know, Ace is... She's mysterious. I, I, I can handle this. 
and she has no idea what she's doing <laughs> because she's ace and she's going to charge out there and blow something up and doesn't know anything about it. And it's not until she gets into that. She's like, uh, <laughs> maybe this plan isn't as well thought out as I, I thought it was. Maybe if she, if she had given us a look like she hadn't intended to do that, <laughs> maybe I like the design of the hemovores too. Yeah. Especially the ancient one oh, with the eyes that would move. And that the was mouth. impressive. Although there was one point where the mouth wasn't moving and it was talking and I thought, uh, okay, I thought the high marks for for the outfit for the costume. It looks yeah. really, really incredible. And then when the doctor was talking to him, his mouth was moving. And I thought, well, why wasn't his mouth moving earlier? It must have been a mechanical problem. Yeah, a problem with it. Because yeah, because when we first seen it, it's not working. Because when Finrick's bl- talking or to him, it's, it's not yeah. working. And then when the doctor's t- talking to him, it's he's moving his mouth. And I thought, well, no, this <laughs> is really great. Why wasn't it like this? The earlier? first time it blinked, I was blown away. Yeah, just wow. Cool. It's a bit like. Uh, you can see some of the production values from Battlefield. Mm-hmm. People mock that monster, but it had great production oh, yeah. value. No, absolutely. Looks good. It almost it looks, looks really like they good. kind of re- took him and tweaked him and <laughs> may turn him into a fish pretty much. But <laughs> No, I think the only one I can kind of complain about is the, uh, the, the, the main general because he's that stereotypical military well, madman. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and Mander Millington. Once he's... Once he's revealed to be, I don't know, a religious zealot's not quite the right word. But no, he was just nuts. Yeah. <laughs> That's really what it boiled down to. He was, he was a bit of a zealot, but he was, he was, his mind was gone. You couldn't tell at first, but you could tell at the end that his brain was just mush at that point. And it was just, he, he had... Drinking too much of the Kool-Aid. Something. He was just, you, I, I actually admired his... The fact that he took that turn and went to the deep end, yeah, yeah, helped him not helped him from being the just stereotypical I agree. Russian general. Yeah. I agree. And I actually admired the way that he he just he was very he was very militaristic. He was very he was very good as and he was a very leader. This is the way we do it. And well, I'm it very was, you know he was he was that stereotype. But he was he just you kind of looked at it went okay. You just expect this from this type of person. And then as the character goes on, you're going. Man, this guy is just way too militant, and he's way too. I mean, to, to go from you this. know your office is designed to look like Hitler's office, yeah, so that you can yeah. think like the enemy. It's like okay, that's this guy. I, I get it. I'm in yeah, his head now because yeah. okay, cool. But it went well beyond that. <laughs> the first time we you, something's something's amiss is when he just burned the chest chest sets, and I thought. Why are we burning the chess sets? Where does that come from? Smash all the communications. You really need to smash them all? Disable. Or disable. (laughs) Disable. That's right, because the guy was in there smashing them, and I thought, I'm not sure that's what he meant. But he says, (laughs) disable all the communications. And I thought, okay, you've got this ploy for the Russians to steal this thing, and that's where you're going with it. But do you really have to disable all of the communications? (laughs) I just thought, and then he went like, I Oh, he's disabled him. I, I want. I want to do. Now a put most, him back together. <laughs> I want to do a most interesting man in the world meme so. with that soldier. I don't always disable the communication sets, but when I do, it's with an axe. He's <laughs> just, dude. You could have unplugged it. This is truly there. This is cross some wires. It'll this be is good. the '40s. You could have removed like a radar tube or something. Just pull out of the back, and the whole thing would go down. Right? This is all. 
One component. <laughs> you just take it out and you pocket it and you're good. I think the other problem is, is and this is just, this is budget, this is production, and there's no way to get around this. And they did a, a fine job with what they had to work with. But there were just too few men on both sides. <laughs> <laughs> the armies were pretty you've small. Got this, you've got this decoding supercomputer that should have been much more protected than it was. Uh, now, you could argue that they weren't protecting it well because it was they were intending for the Russians to come in and steal it. But then you've got this like little tiny group of Russian guys that I think, these armies are just too small. <laughs> they didn't have enough people. guys to lift the computer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How are they going to get it away? They we're just stealing the part. Oh, was it just the part? I think they're just going to take that main part, central section of it, maybe. The, the, okay. I don't know. It's the brain. Still, it guess. still had. I still had to suspend a lot of belief <laughs> in order to go. Yeah, okay. <laughs> maybe this was just the advanced party <laughs> securing the base, so then that the rest can come in and. I I don't no, and the only thing <laughs> that you could the the only way you could justify it is the fact that they were still in the thrones of World War Two. And so you had to still pretend that you were allies. So you couldn't send a whole massive army because yeah. then suddenly you've got some conflict of interest there. <laughs> so you have to send a small party so that they can infiltrate it and get the heck out of I there. I mean, there's, there's a Russian sub off the coast. Don't get me wrong. Well, who but knows how many, of the hemo- how many got lost in the water on the yeah. way, too? I, the, 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 the two boats of guys that landed on shore, you notice we went to 10 little Indians mode on them real quick. Oh, the, <laughs> the, the point is, if we have to go to such great lengths to justify it, <laughs> it probably a, wasn't probably done problem. Right. Yeah. That, and the, the 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 captain of the Russian army, he, he was he was a good actor and he was convincing all the way down except for his accent. He sounded French through the whole thing, and I kept thinking this guy could have worked on the accent a little better. All of those Russians could have worked on their accent a little better, but I do like the fact that they when they first come on shore, they're speaking Russian. Yeah, and then the commander the says, switch. all English now. <laughs> it was like, oh, good. I don't have to read <laughs> subtitles the whole time. I'm not Keith. I can't watch <laughs> I also love the doctor's speech at the end, the, the, the conversation with him and Ace. That was so impactful. Is there well, it's so then, heartbreaking and then, when and then he him starts... trying to convince her otherwise yeah. of, yeah. Well, it's so heartbreaking when he has to say the things that he does in order for her to break her belief in him. Because all the, all the while in your mind you're going, he doesn't really mean this. This, is, this, isn't, this isn't powerful because he means what he's saying. Because I, I, having that scene with him talking to the ancient one, I already knew what, what, why he was doing yeah. it. But it still was just so heartbreaking to see Ace. And maybe that's where the the um, conveyance was best used is the fact that she really looked like she was taking it to heart. And I thought, oh, this is so, – oh, please get to the part where he explains to her that it was all ruse. <laughs> <laughs> Both Sylvester McCoy and Sophie Aldridge just killed it oh, in yeah. this episode. I can see why the story is regarded as one of the highest of their era. Yeah. And to, and to get uh, – you, you commented a little bit about the clownish um, doctor earlier. But to get those moments like at the beginning when they stride into the camp and well, – and he just takes over. And, yeah. yeah. 
That's that's the doctor I I'm used everybody to halt. Yeah, it's about time you stopped me. <laughs> and then to type up orders on official stationery. Well, and then sign it. And, and then, then sign it. I think you'll sign it. You know, you'll find it signed by the prime minister. What? <laughs> <laughs> that's the doctor I'm used to seeing, and then he just takes this such dark turn that, yeah, it's a great exploration for his character too. Which almost makes you wonder if. Um, did he did he know how to sign Churchill's name because they had already met at this point? Or? Maybe we'll find out in the Churchill Adventures. <laughs> but yeah, Sophie Aldred was, and I, I like it, the end too, where she dives into the water and comes up and she's smiling again. It's yeah. kind of like we've washed all that away now. And most of the way through, and as you know, I've I I have made nearly a one hundred and eighty degree turnaround on the Seventh Doctor just over the course of the last couple of years. But I was shouting in my mind, if you would have only let me watch this one sooner, I could have been more forgiving of the seventh doctor <laughs> for all these years. We did five years, nearly five years. We've been doing this podcast. I could have been more forgiving for the seventh doctor. If I had only seen this one and got some more perspective, because if I had seen this one earlier, I would have gone, you know, McCoy's a great doctor when he's got a good story. <laughs> I think you can say that about any of them. Yeah. No. <laughs> the story still... I, 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 I can and I do, but the stories still completely throttle my enjoyment of Sylvester McCoy in some of this, some of his era. There's, there's still... No, I mean, Delta, you, you, you can say the same thing about like, Colin. Any doctor. Well, Colin's a great doctor when he has yeah. a good story. And yeah. that's, you know, that, that's... That's the important lesson from anybody's standpoint is if you don't have a good script. And that, that's, why, that's why, as a writer, I will tout this to the highest levels of government. <laughs> you gotta have, you got to start with that framework. you got to have a good story to hang everything on. Otherwise, it doesn't work. These half-baked concepts. And let's make another Transformers movie. It's like, okay, do you have a story this time? No. All right. But, yeah, I, I, I think – and, and that's, that's one of the things that you know, reading Andrew Cartmel's uh, book as I'm going through, and I'll give you a little more next week when we, you know, do the whole trilogy. But that's one of the biggest complaints is he felt like he needed to write the ship because there was so much of the previous era that just didn't quite work. Yeah. Well, even even Sylvester's for the first part of Sylvester's era was yeah. just rocky. There's just there's ugh, there's way too much. There was way too much pandering to the higher-ups. That's what it boils down to. There was too much J&T. I think that that's what I like about, from, from, from Remembrance of the Daleks all the way on, I feel like J&T finally took a back seat and said, you guys run this thing and I will be the bean counter, is what it really feels like. And then even seeing some of the, the when you watch some of the behind-the-scenes stuff and the documentaries that they do on these, you get the impression that JNT had stepped so much away from it that they were able to start, as as you said, right the ship and get it back on track and yeah. not have so much Moffat to it. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think Moffat, I think Moffat's doing a good job steering the ship. Don't get me wrong, but I can see that potential with Stephen Moffat as well. Is is he is far too much. A Clara, a control freak. <laughs> <laughs> Say it isn't so. Any final thoughts on this one? No, it's good. I'm excited to talk about the uh, Ace Trilogy as a whole next week. Yeah. 
Especially now having seen all of them. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping Survival has a new light on the heels of this one. I wish it did. <laughs> uh, Survival's got its its shining beacons in it as well. So, yeah. The Harvest. On the morning of October 12th, 2021, Hex woke up. He was expecting to go to work at St. Gart's in London as normal. And that evening, have a great time at the bar of the White Rabbit, celebrating his 23rd birthday. But his ex-flatmate is wheeled into A&E following a bike accident, and a strange young woman from Human Resources tries to chat him up, and an eight-foot-tall guy is in a murk tries to run him down. Hex realizes things are not going quite as he expected. <laughs> then, in a shortage car park, he meets the enigmatic doctor who explains that he's an extraterrestrial investigator and something's very strange going up on the 31st floor of St. Gart's. Therefore, aided and abetted by the doctor and his other new friend, Just McShane, Hex decides to investigate. Trouble is, everything that goes on at the hospital is being observed and noted by the occupants of the 31st floor, occupants who are none too pleased that people are poking their noses into business that doesn't concern them, Occupants who still go to extraordinary lengths to ensure that no one's no one discovers the truth. Dun dun dun. It's a good dun dun dun. It's a good story. I think I made the comment last week that you were excited about this. Uh, that you you had me correct this because there were Cybermen in this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'll be honest. I, I just they 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 are listed on the uh, the wiki the Doctor Who audio play wiki which is fantastic resource that you guys need to use. It lists, you know, companion. And Are you saying we don't? I'm just saying if you, anybody out there. He came across your era oh, yeah. based oh, yeah. on the wikis. So. Not, not that wiki. <laughs> I had a different wiki. Oh, yeah. He had a different wiki. Uh, I like the wiki wiki. But um, it, it lists, Wiki, you know, wiki, wiki, wiki. <laughs> who's in the story and the villain and, and, and whatnot. And I, I had seen it there when I went back and made that correction last week. Then promptly forgot about it <laughs> because there were, I think there was a part of my brain that went, oh, you may have just spoiled the story. <laughs> and so I think the rest of my brain went, yeah, and Kicked clamped down on it and forgot about it because when they showed up, I was surprised. <laughs> like I didn't know it was a Cyberman story going into it. And so I sit down and I start listening and it's no, 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 we're going on. It's like, oh, we're, we got, you know, this genetic engineering. What the, what is, what's going on on the 31st floor? Project C. C, okay. C program. Yeah, whatever. And then, oh, Doctor, there's Cybermen! That. And I went, <laughs> <gasps> there are Cybermen in this story? I just got that. <laughs> Did you really? <laughs> didn't even occur to me. Wait, there were Cybermen in there this story? There were Cybermen in this story. <laughs> kind of. Kind of. Um, oh, I got the impression there were actual Cybermen, too. Well. Kind of. That was enough that Ace really recognized that they were... Cybermen. I um so I liked it. I liked it for all those elements. However the Cyberman plot I question a little bit. I almost I, I, I give it props for giving it creativity and trying to do something different with the Cybermen. Uh and the Cybermen under almost kind of like the Daleks in Destiny understand that they need some creativity in order to succeed in their plans. And I, lo- I love That's that aspect That's a great exploration. Of, yeah, an we, we've got to start thinking outside the box. And I went, oh, this is going to be sweet. Unfortunately, and, and, and 
maybe, maybe, unfortunately, maybe not, because I, I'm sure if it hadn't gone this way, I would have found something to complain about that it wasn't a standard Cyberman story. But <laughs> by going outside of the box and giving me that, oh, this is new. When and the doctors genuinely. Did you guys fall for it? Did you think that they had, this had actually been like a lone bunch of Cybermen that went over I, I back did. to them I on did. those? Yeah. So did I. I bought it. And, and that's what I think disappointed me ultimately that was that it, it reverted to type and it became just a ha, 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 we're taking over the planet, but we're doing it this way. And I was like, at least they took a, At least they took a different approach of how they were going to take over the planet. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's, it's still props for <laughs> props for ingenuity. And, and, and like I said, the, the concept is Great, but I almost feel like there's a better morality tale to be told with a lone group of Cybermen that have decided enough's enough, we want to reclaim our humanity. Give me that story, because that just sounded phenomenal. And then instead we get random army guys out there who have been cyberdized. Yeah, we, we, we got to that before the big reveal. I, I thought the, the guy in charge of the program, the government dude, was, oh, well, that's the bad guy, not the Cybermen. And then... He promptly dies, and <laughs> yeah. it just and it's one of those that at that point you, it's not even necessarily all that satisfying because it's like yeah, well, saw that coming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you gave them the code to the weapons locker. <laughs> what? <laughs> this isn't going to end well for you. And well, it didn't. I don't know. That was just I I I, I did. I fell bait and so I completely forgot that Cybermen were this. I had no idea. So then when that showed up, I was like, oh, Cybermen. But then it was different Cybermen. I was like, I really oh, I, I like man. how the big finishes are trying to shy away from of the Cybermen or of the Daleks because the the Charlie Pollard last story did not have Cybermen in the title either. Yeah. So that was a surprise when they showed up. I like the surprise of. Oh, granted, this one wasn't because I did research into this story to figure out if I listened to it or not. Uh, Sorry. It was, I didn't it, was, know. it was still a... I was surprised because I didn't know. I guess I zoned out when you said that last week about well, I figure most Cyberman of what story. I say you're kind of... And, uh, <laughs> so when they when they showed up, I was I was pleasantly surprised by it. I, 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 I too liked the fact that they were going somewhere different with them and did feel a bit cheated when we kind of reverted back to the norm, but... Although Harvest is a great title for a Cyberman yeah. story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh. I didn't think this story was particularly great. And it, it, it really just kind of felt like a, a middle-of-the-road story that was enjoyable. It was fun to listen to. Um, I really like Hex. I it's a great it's, introduction to yeah, a new companion. It is a good, good and And that's what this story does more than anything else is it's an introductory story. The first two parts are very much building Hex as a character and giving him, in, him depth and then him dealing with – this alien menace in the second half. I very much enjoy that they're going, they, they go the route with the doctor that I, I think they've done a few times in big finish audio where the doctor really feels like he's got things under control. And then it kind of just slips away from him a bit <laughs> and he has to kind of regain some footing. Um, so that was pleasant uh, because they've been kind of doing that, especially yeah. with some of the side strip ones, but side trip ones, but or uh, side step. side step ones. Um, but I just, I don't know, just overall, I wasn't, I wasn't thoroughly excited about it, but again, it was, it wasn't a disappointment at all. It was just, it was kind of just middle of the road for me. And, um, I liked the idea of, of crafting human parts back onto Cybermen in order to make them more humanistic. But 
The problem I had with that is it it almost implied that that's all you have to do to in re- order to reinstate that emotion and that lo- the, you yeah. know, and kind of step sidestep that logical thinking. And I never got the I always got the impression that that while that stripped away their humanity by converting them to Cybermen, that there was always that one last step that shut that emotion off. And I think maybe I'm Kinda getting like most of that from in, yeah, Attack Age, of the Cybermen and Age of Steel. Or not Attack of the Cybermen. Age of Steel. Rise. Rise, rise, rise of the rise. Cybermen and Age of Steel. And Age of Steel, Rise of the Cybermen. And so I kind of always got that impression. So when they kind of just tried to turn it back to, well, all you have to do is get the the feelings and things like that. It was it, it, that was one of those. I'm not sure if I quite think that you could just like, you know, that would be the switch to turn it back on. Well, didn't the doctor turn it back on for the one girl, one woman, as she was dying? In that two. That's what I'm saying. There, yeah, there it was fine, much, but we're we're talking oh, about okay. different cyber. Okay. That's, I see, I see that's that I think is what planted that idea for me. That it's a switch. But I never got that. Imp- I, I I never. I, I guess I kind of brought that impression over into this. So it wasn't a problem when they did it. But in this one, I, it never seems to me that that would have been the that would have been the yeah, switch. Not just, that it couldn't be done. I almost more feel like there is that. They internal switch that needs switched to be it instead of going in the flesh they metal yeah yeah and, and they tried to imply which is fine I and mean, maybe that's the case but it, they, they, they that just didn't I don't know it didn't, didn't seem right to me but it seemed too I didn't quite understand how that whole thing seemed would too, work seemed too but. Machiavellian to, me to, <laughs> <laughs> to kind of do that but um I really look forward to hearing more Hex stories. Yeah. He, he was, Hex was a good point. I liked the other doctor in this, too. It was just, I kept feeling so bad for the poor guy. Because they were just using him. That's all they were oh, doing yeah. was using him. And he, he was a unwilling participant through this whole thing. He thought he was doing good. Yeah, and yeah. I thought, oh, this poor guy. And I kept thinking, <laughs> I kept thinking, somebody will apologize to him. And finally, A said, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Like, okay, finally. After just a minute earlier admonishing him for whining or whatever it was that was, you know. Yeah, yeah. Whatever he was doing. And she just kind of, you know, man up. Yeah. And then she's like, I'm sorry you got okay. dragged into this. <laughs> but my biggest problem with this was so minute that it shouldn't have even been a problem. But the first person says, I think it was one of the Cybermen says, resistance is futile. <laughs> and I went, that's not right. It's resistance is Don't useless. say that. <laughs> and then somebody else said it. And I went, oh, my gosh. You guys have you're, got Star Trek on the brain. It was written useless, and you turned it into futile. And I said, quit doing that. That's not right. And then when the doctor says, I know, review, re- resistance is useless, and, and on and on. And I was like, finally. <laughs> and from that point, every time it was said again, it was re- resistance is useless. And I thought... That's a big, glaring mistake <laughs> now that you allowed two actors to say resistance is futile, which is completely lifted from the Borg, who in turn arguably could have lifted it, did lift it from the Cybermen. But you use you use resistance as useless, not futile. Futile <laughs> is the Borg, useless is Cybermen. And it just stuck in my brain the whole time that I was listening to this going, Oh, I wish they'd have gone back and fixed that. I'm going to fix it for you right now. Are you ready? Yeah. The two instances, because it, it 
you, you can't say resistance is futile in my presence without me queuing into that. <laughs> the two times it's said are both humans that have become Cybermen. Under the human control. Under, under human yeah. control. Resistance is useless is said by Cyber. legit Cybermen who and are... a doctor. Who's are, heard a doctor from the who, who are then trying to become human. So I will argue that it was done on purpose because since this is set in 20... 2021. 2021. And we know Star Trek is a thing, you know, in in this universe, that they've heard it before. And so it's just part of that human conditioning that's still coming over that that was, that was what that said. Okay. I was going to prevent or present the exact argument. Were you really? (laughs) Yeah. High five. Doesn't work, but (laughs) (laughs) should, should, I mean, yeah, it, 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 if you drop it in that's there a once, good way, that's a good way to fix it. Fix it for you. <laughs> I, 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 not, I agree with you. If you drop it in there once, it's like, ha ha! I see what you did there. Use it twice. Well, it's it's a mistake. Ha ha! I did it once. It was. Uh, that's not right. Do it right. Do it the right way. If you're, do, you're doing Doctor Who here, not Star Trek, do it the right way. A reference would have been having a human character say it, and the Cybermen correct it. Yeah. <laughs> now, no, I would have right. bought his explanation for that if that had happened. I'd have gone, okay, now they're being clever. <laughs> well, in in, uh, in all, all fairness, uh, Dab Ab- Dan Abnett, who uh, wrote this, um, I, I can't really know if I side too much with him, uh, as he is also responsible for the story of Martha. Oh. So that weird. suddenly, in in some ways... Vastly elevates this audio <laughs> adventure. We got it right this time. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. <laughs> well, this was released 2004, so he wrote Story of Martha way later. Yeah. I know. He tried. <laughs> he abysmally failed, but he tried. He tried. I'm, I'm sure he's done many other things. He, he does a lot of comic books. He, uh, you know, he writes superhero stuff. Apparently, uh, was responsible for something that became the core of the new Guardians of the Galaxy characters. And I mean, he's he's he's, he's a name, but yeah, that's okay. We all have our story of Martha's. <laughs> we all have our Cyberman Bob. I think one of the standout parts of this story for me is the doctor interacting with Hex. Those scenes were just so enjoyable of him being so gobsmacked of, oh my God. <laughs> and then the doctor making fun of him because of it. <laughs> and it, he, Sylvester played it in such a way. Not God, the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> he, he played it in, in that newfound somber way that the seventh doctor has to him. But it was written in that vaudevillian tone that it was such an interesting mesh to hear him be kind of somber about making these jokes and making fun of this guy who's trying to deal with all of these things. And and then the fact that Hex decides to join and the Doctor leaves it up to Ace, I think I, I really liked all of that. I also like that the Doctor set the TARDIS down on Totter's Lane again. It wasn't in the junkyard this time. It was well, in a car park. but <laughs> The junk shark, junkyard no is now a exists. car park. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought that was very funny. I enjoyed it. Yeah, there's there's a lot of shining moments of it for me. 
I can see where you say it's kind of middle of the road. I'm, yeah, and yeah, I don't, I can't, I don't have any, I don't have a lot of negative things to say about it because it was, it was a fine story. It was, it was, it was good. It was, it was interesting, and it kept me interested. It, it, it clipped along. I don't think it dragged anywhere. And um, good on you, big finish for doing another fine Doctor Who audio story. <laughs> another good seventh Doctor. Story. Another good seventh Doctor. Story, yeah. If anything, it, it just, it's continuing my. To grow my love of the Seventh Doctor. Anything else? Speculate. Had oh, this dear. been <laughs> <laughs> a group of Cybermen not planning to take over the world, but um, legitimately had broken free of their programming and were attempting to return to their human roots, would the Doctor have been able to... Accept it? Yeah. Would he have pulled the Seventh Doctor what, ebook? Yes. Would, would he have uh, been the Daleks are evil, period? No, I, I don't think so. He, the, he the, almost bought it. Yeah. The, the, the reason being is because in this story, he does, you, he does show some sympathy. He does show some compassion for the idea. And so I think, and as you said, he almost falls for it. So I think in this instance, I think the Doctor could have... I don't think he's as prejudiced. I just he doesn't come across as uh, he's prejudiced, but as prejudiced as he is against the Daleks. Yeah. Is um, it because maybe Cybermen were human ones? I, I think maybe that's what it is. Because I think while, while the Daleks, they've been mutated by well, radiation, et cetera, and, and et they, they've always, from the core, from their their genesis, have been evil. Yeah. The Cybermen took a journey. From one point to another, and if they are on a journey back, I think there's some forgiveness and some compassion for the idea that okay, maybe because, this would work because it's a journey they could go back. Yeah. So no, I, I don't think so. We wouldn't have gotten a Seventh Doctor ebook moment. <laughs> <laughs> what about Ace? Ace was good in this one. I mean, do you think Ace would have questioned it, or would she have just been like, nope? Uh, I think she's at the point now in her relationship with the Doctor that she is nearly, even 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 despite some of the things that happened in such such stories as Colditz and things like that, she just has this trust in the Doctor that I think that they've really cultivated. And I think that, that if the Doctor says it's a good idea... 90% of the time she can go along with it and say, all right, it's a good idea. Obviously the doctor knows what he's doing. I mean, she was so – that's what I, that was one of the things that, I, that I, I, I'm glad you pointed that out. She was very comfortable in her shoes in this whole uh, undercover case. She was very into her role. She was very quick on her uh, – fast on her feet. She was very you know quick-witted. She was – she knew exactly what she was doing. And I think in that a lot of that has culminated because of her relationship with the doctor that she trusts him, and he and she knows that he trusts her. And no, I think that she'd have just gone along with it. So I think she would have she would have questioned whether it was the right idea, but I don't think she would have stood against it. It's fun that we paired these up together in a way that we we, we see the younger Ace who has gotten to the point where she implicitly trusts the Doctor and Crystal Fenric, and now we're getting the older Jess McShane, who still implicitly trusts the Doctor, 
But in a different way. But in a far different way. Well, and, and knows the doctor well enough that that great little line she had about the doctor has a plan unless it goes wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the fact that she knows the doctor that she recognizes well, it. Yeah, yeah. That he, she knows that not everything goes his way and she can adapt and adjust accordingly. But if he said, no, this is how it is, I think she would go along with it, depending, usually. Anything else? No. All right. Well, we so. got coming up on the schedule. Well, coming up next week on the schedule uh, for Friday Night Who at the end of July, we're going to do Survival, which finishes out the Ace Trilogy. And then the culmination of all of that, our episode uh, next week on uh, number 240. Good Lord. Uh, Dorothy Gale McShane and the Ace Trilogy, because we will cover kind of the, the, the whole thing. Ghost Light, Curse of Fenric, and Survival, and the, the arc that's buried in there. And um, we will have some added insights from novelizations and from uh, uh, Andrew Cartmel's book I hope to have finished by then. So all kinds of good things there. Um, a return for Colin Baker the following week, Attack of the Cybermen. So more Cybermen for you, Keith. <laughs> And then um, we're going to cover a little bit about Kansas City Comic Con, featuring Colin Baker the following week. And I don't know that we'll have much to talk about that, so we might have to come up with some extra topics to throw in there for you. <laughs> I'll be in Tulsa, so I'll talk about my trip. There you go. <laughs> it's just going to be a rip-roaring, exciting travel log <laughs> that week, boys, let me tell you. Uh, and then uh, <coughs> excuse me, on the 14th, we jump back into New Who with Partners in Crime, just because it's been a while since we've done that one. And then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Titan Doctor Who comics again in episode 242 with some of the stuff they've got coming up. And hopefully a surprise. So That's as far out as I've got scheduled, but uh, I'm putting together the final pieces now for what will lead up to Easter Saturday. <laughs> um, I'm blanked. What season are we on? Nine? <laughs> nine. Season nine. Season nine. I, I, it was, series uh, nine. Leading up to series... There's a number here. Uh, Nine. If we hadn't taken a year off, we'd be at Series 10 for the 10th anniversary of the new series. I'd have been 10, but I was sick a year. (laughs) Um, Be sure to stop by our website. If you haven't recently, there's some changes there. And obviously, uh, always... Try to support us where you can. Uh, our Amazon shop, our, uh, there's some Amazon links on there. Our Spreadshirt shop has a couple more designs in it. And hopefully, shortly after this goes out, there will be another design on there that um, you might chuckle about. Sean has come up with. I'm very excited. And then, uh, of course, always uh, support us on Patreon because that is uh, a very – useful resource for us as far as um, keeping the show on the air, on the airwaves. And thank you so much to everyone who, who does and continues to, to do so. And you know, those of you who listen to us, um, cause obviously we wouldn't be here without you guys. That's right. Well, we'd be here, but <laughs> all right. Was that going to do, do it? Yep. All right. Well, that's it for this week. Until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.